Psalm 118 is a beautiful psalm. We've been doing psalms every week. And notice, notice how things are laid out in the song, the beauty of it, the, the majesty of it, and yet the deep understanding that we have as God seeks us. Hear these words. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but God did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to God. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is God's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. God, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and God has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. For God's steadfast love endures forever. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage, at Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, they came from Bethany. He was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, 
for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It was in the mid-70s, probably about 1976, that I was working construction, and every day we would turn on the radio and, and listen to our wonderful little radio player. And I remember about uh, two weeks before the event was supposed to happen, they began to talk about new technology in, in, in radio. And what they talked about was the fact that you could, you could now begin very soon to have smells, olfactory technology that was going to be able to be coming through your radios. I was spellbound, as were every one of the other workers around me. Two weeks later, as they kept building this up and building this up, we finally, at the appointed hour at 10 o'clock on that morning, stopped work and began to gather around the radio, leaned in close because they said it was going to be hard. You, you, had, to, you had to be close to your radio. So there we were. It's probably 21 or 22. You remember being 21 or 22? Leaning into the radio, can you see, you know, 10 construction workers gathered around this? Unbelievable. Leaning in, and at 10 o'clock, finally at the appointed hour, they said, can you smell it? The smell of bacon cooking in the studio. We have it all set up. Lean farther in, closer. Can you smell it? I looked at the crew and I said, I think I smell it. <laughs> and finally, as I knew there was some wafting smell of bacon coming from my radio in the quietest of whispers came these two wonderful words. April Fool's. <laughs> oh, to be 21 again. I tell you that story because it also reminds me of the event that happened yesterday. Remember yesterday? You ready for this? I, I was absolutely blown away by this number. 1.5 billion B, B, billion dollars spent on lottery. The Mega Millions lottery. $1.5 billion. On a 1 in 174 million chance of winning the $640 million. 
What was amazing is watching at Safeway, I guess it was at Albertsons, watching folks who you absolutely knew could not afford slapping down these hundreds of dollars and buying these long sheets of lottery tickets, knowing that they were the one in 174 million that was going to win this. Somebody after first service said, do you know that the chances of you becoming a saint? Do I even need to finish the sentence? <laughs> I heard one of the radio guys go, you know, it's, it's more likely that you're going to get bitten by a shark, killed in an airplane crash, and then I can't remember what the third thing was, uh, than you are winning this lottery. But what does that speak to of the absolute desperation on the part of so many that somehow money is the answer? And sharing with Dorothy in one of the articles I read yesterday that most lottery winners have a disastrous time after they win this money. Absolute opposite. You want to talk about April or even late March fools to me. And I was going to ask how many bought tickets but, but, Jeff, put your hand down. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to ask you that question. But it's amazing. And yet here we are sitting here on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning. And how many people think that we're fools for coming and spending a Sunday morning sitting in worship? And when they confront me with that, you know what I tell them? Come and give it a try. Because you will find nowhere else in your life a place like the community you will find on a Sunday morning at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. You will find people who absolutely deeply care about each other, who want to do the absolute right thing in the world. You want to talk about community and everybody is longing for community. Don't call us fools. Because the other piece of this is when we come together and we pray for each other, we know something's happening. There is something underneath it that is much greater than we are. So here we are. In the temple courtyard or in the temple that day as the parade was happening, as the branches were being cut and thrown and waved back and forth and the coats were coming off and being laid in front of this donkey. Those standing on the the kind of the balcony area of the temple, you know what they were saying? Fools. Absolute fools. And by the way, Hosanna, Hashanah, is, is the word in ancient Hebrew, and what that means is save us, as you've heard. And what they were screaming and yelling that day was for Jesus to save them, not for God, but from Rome. We have to remember that's what they were hoping for as he is writing in. Because if we don't know that, the rest makes no sense whatsoever. And here is his story in all four of the Gospels. Matthew and Mark are almost identical as they tell the story. Luke goes into a little more detail. My favorite is John. And those of you that, that were here when Dave Tinney was here, I know you heard this sermon about the positioning that John has of this story of Jesus coming in that day on the donkey. It's not at the end of the gospel. It's in chapter 2. And it's right on the heels of the wedding at Cana. And that story is not about a wedding. 
It's not about Jesus turning water into wine. It's about Jesus himself going from baptism to crucifixion and resurrection. That's the wedding story at Cana. But then John doesn't think that's enough. And so what he does is he moves his story to the beginning to define the other element of Jesus's ministry, which is to hold accountable those who are abusing in the temple. All four of those stories. But the other key pieces of this story are important for us to understand the fact that Bethany keeps coming, that the Mount of Olives is mentioned because that's the place that the Messiah was first to appear before he came into Jerusalem. That then he was to come in a humble state, riding. And what we have now is this polemic being set up, this clash of two powers. Because in Rome, when a conqueror came in, remember what they rode and what happened for them was they rode in on the best of horses, the best of steeds, and the parade that was happening was all in their honor. With pedals and just incredible. Or they would ride a chariot with the emperor's best horses pulling it. But here, we have a donkey. Why? Because here, it's not about him. It's about God Save us, God, from where we are. And we know that you are the appointed one. You are the one that is going to get to the throne of Rome and turn this around so that we can become free. And immediately when he gets into the city, he goes to Solomon's portico, the place where the voice of the Messiah was to be spoken first, the place where he was to find his voice. And what does he find there? Tables filled with money changers. It would be like us going to Chuck E. Cheese's. Probably haven't heard that theologically before. <laughs> but you know, at Chuck E. Cheese, what you have to do is you have to turn in your money, right? And get the specific tokens that will then open up the wonderment of Chuck E. Cheese. Right? This is what happened. You had to bring in your money, give it to someone sitting at that front desk. He would exchange it for temple money tax you for making that exchange which would feed into the coffers of the temple which would make those guys wealthy that's the money changers jesus walks in and immediately sees what this is and he gets a little angry he's already had a tough day where were the figs (laughs) someday i'm going to preach that sermon what is it about the figs not today But he turns over the tables and suddenly the crowd that was celebrating him, knowing that he was to be the savior, suddenly begins to shift as well. It is amazing what happened here. How often did we hear Jesus say as we look at the Gospels, particularly in Matthew, these words, you've heard it said, but I tell you, you've heard it said, But I tell you, and here we have it one more time, you've heard it said that you need to change your money, even though there's nothing in the law that says that. But I tell you, there is no excuse for this. None. Power comes in so many different ways. The temple power now versus this one, one person. This one person who has no real home, no real income, no real power, no real authority, and nothing inherent that would make anyone want to follow unless you consider teaching accountability and healing acts of power. 
April Fools, right? April Fools. But this is where we come in. We have these two definitive sides, and it's up to us to figure out who wins. And that's what this week is all about. Who ultimately wins this battle of power? Today we make this turn from the parade, and thank you for participating in the parade. But now looking at the shift and what causes this shift. And we have to find ourselves very much like what I talked about in the prodigal son story last week and in that painting, where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself on the parade route that day? What were your expectations? What are your expectations for this Jesus coming in? How do you feel about him coming into our church and challenging us with things that maybe are not appropriate to the law? How would you feel about that? Or as we look at this week and we begin to turn toward Monday, Thursday, where do you find yourself around that table? What's so interesting, and you've heard me say it before, what's so interesting to me is that as I, and you'll see this on Thursday night, the table will be set up with nameplates of each of the disciples. And I'm going to ask you at some point in that service to find your location around the table. I don't want to set you up with this, but you know what chair is filled first almost every time? Judas. Why is that? Why do we see ourselves in that place more often than, say, Peter or John? What is it about us that makes us feel as though we're not worthy when what Jesus continues to say is, come, all of you, who have heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I'm the prodigal father coming, seeking to surround you and pull you close, even in the midst of who you are. What does it say on the sign on Newport Way? On the top in the bright red? Two words? Grace happens. Where will you find yourself around the table on Thursday night? Then on Friday, we deal with death. Don't apologize for it. Don't avoid it. Friday is about death. And every single one of us, not one person in this sanctuary has not experienced death in some way. Not one. Not one. Death in the loss of a loved one. Death in divorce. Death in in relationships, death in so many ways, death in a child who has departed and gone another direction, death in so many ways surrounds us. But what is it about death that, particularly those that I just described, that we don't want to share with anybody? Why do we hide from that? When we are in a church that so much wants to care for one another. And then on, fr- on Saturday... We're going to come and be in Friendship Hall and we're going to create a space where it's a time of waiting. A time of maybe anticipating what's to come. Tomb time. And is there any one of us who hasn't experienced that in some way? And then comes Sunday. But to get to Sunday, we have to go through this all of these times. 
Friends, it's dangerous stuff in churches, and the reason that this Sunday particularly has shifted over the years is that we know that for most folks, they will not come to Thursday or Friday or Saturday because we want to go from the parade to the resurrection without going through the tough, dark work. But if we're really to truly understand resurrection, we need to go through the tough, dark work. Not only in looking at the experiences of Jesus, but our own as well. And it all begins on this day at this table where we remember. We remember that night. We remember so that we take it into ourselves that on the night that he was betrayed, anyone here ever betrayed a friend? Everybody here ever gone the different direction, the opposite direction? Anyone ever denied knowing someone that may have cost the relationship? Anybody ever disappointed a friend or a neighbor or a spouse or a family member? It's part of life. And we remember so that we don't do it again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body which is broken for you and for many. Every time you eat of this, remember. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup, that third cup in the Passover feast, the cup of a potential new covenant, a new relationship with God. And he said, take, drink, all of you. For this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed because of the way that I chose to live my life. Every time you drink of this, remember, don't forget that being a follower of me, of Jesus, has a cost. There is a change. As often as you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. I invite those who are assisting to come forward. As you come, I ask you to pause for just a moment to think about those places in our lives where we have disappointed or denied, to think about those places in our lives where we know we need to get better, to think about the hard work that goes with that. And as you come, commit to that and commit to this week, wherever you can, coming to one of these services or just taking time to remember each element of Holy Week. Take time. Take time. Commit to that as you come forward.